Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following broadcast has been approved for Elite Hornets fans. What a block by Cody Zeller. Walker down the lane, drive, shoots, scores! Game over! Bringing back the buzz was only the beginning. We will not go quietly into the night. It's Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. It's Hive Talk Live. Welcome in, Hornets fans. You are listening to Hive Talk Live here on AtTheHive.com. It's Hornets Talk for the hardcore fan. We are live in the Gittimer.com studios in beautiful uptown Charlotte. I'm Doug Branson. And I am David Walker. We are both on the air at the same time, Doug. That's true. It's great. Yeah. Well, it's listen, great. sometimes it happens very beautifully, and sometimes it's kind of like a train wreck, and that's the beauty of live radio. That's right. Is Such that is it live. all it all sounds seamless despite how it may begin. Begin, that's right. It doesn't matter, but we are we are online. We are live and you can always catch us. Follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live and on the internet at hivetalklive.com. Yeah, you can uh, go and listen to us live every Tuesday and Thursday now on hivetalklive.com starting at 6 o'clock p.m. That's right. This Thursday, we start Hive Talk Live Thursdays brought to you by ESPN 730. Justin Thomas, who is going to join us a little later for his Inside the Locker Room segment, he will be joining us as our new co-host. And it should be a good time. It's it's, it's just more Hornets talk, and that's... Another angle, some more views. It's going to be great. Give us a little inside info, peek into the locker rooms. I mean, it's just uh, adding to the roster is always fun. The family is growing. The family is growing, including uh, our other guest for the evening, Nick Denning. He's back for his weekly pick segment. And as we learned on the last show, he is now engaged. That's so, right. Yeah. this we'll get an fa- update on that. This family is, I hope so. Yeah. I'd like to, yeah, exactly. I want to know where the bachelor party is going to be. <laughs> uh, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast aggregator to get shows uploaded to your mobile device of choice. And with that, David, uh, we got a lot to talk about. This is a big show. A lot of stuff. Yeah, Kemba, MKG. So let's get to it. Let's swarm Charlotte. Before we get to the 50 Shades of Kemba, by the way, did you like that title? 50 points, 50 Shades of Kemba? Oh, I just got it, yeah. I take, listen, I take a lot of pride in the titles. It is uh, when I worked in local news I was the morning tease writer. And so you, you have, you know, 10 to 15 seconds to make an impression. And so it's all in those puns. It's all in those. Yeah. All right. Hey, speaking of news, we have some breaking news. Michael Kidd Gilchrist. You remember him, David? Fondly. Yeah. Cleared by team physicians for contact, full contact at practice, here's Steve Clifford after practice today. We also, we also got some video of MKG doing some defending at practice, but here's here's head coach Steve Clifford on MKG. You know, I think his conditioning and stuff like that is pretty good. You know, he's worked really hard, so it's just going to be a question of, you know, building, you know, like he's been doing one-on-one for a few days, and you can see now he's doing some two-on-two, and he's been doing the team stuff without contact for a while. All right, so he's been working his way back for a while now, but this is a huge milestone that he could, after that torn labrum injury, he can now go full contact in practice, David, and it's coming much earlier than was first expected when he did initially tear that labrum in the preseason. Though there isn't an official timetable for his return, indications point to the defensive star making a return as soon as next month. David, the question, though, is are you worried he's being rushed back? There's always a worry, I think, especially when you hear someone's going to – because we basically thought he was going to be out for the whole season. The fact that they are 
full contact practicing, which by the way, maybe, maybe, maybe not, not full contact right away. Maybe, maybe, maybe no taking charges or maybe no, you know, slam dancing or, or slam ball for MKG right away in practice. I mean, they can take it a little easy, but the fact that he's back practicing, I mean, before the all-star break at this point, which would put him, you know, back, like you said, maybe around a little after the all-star break <laughs> is amazing. Uh, it, it's a great surprise for the Hornets. I guess you're, you're a little worried, but in this case, you just, a you got to trust MKG. The problem is, you know, he's going to want to come back no matter what. So you got to trust the doctors and the coaches and everybody else, because they've made an investment in MKG. Um, he is a big part of their future. You certainly don't want anyone rushing him back or coming back too soon. But if they think he's a go and they have to have been monitoring him this whole way, you got to have faith in that. Yeah, for – I mean, look, I'm, I'm not a doctor, uh, but for those – Me neither. Th- for those that are concerned about this injury, you can definitely look to tears in the shoulder as an injury that is susceptible to re-injury. But at the same time – there's no history of the Hornets rushing guys back from injury. In fact, it really, in my mind, lands on the other side of the spectrum where where they're really careful. And I looked at Kimba last season and Al Jefferson this season where they don't immediately put guys back into the starting rotation. They work guys back in slowly. It seems like in their history, this franchise has been more cautious, especially with guys they just signed to a lot of money. I mean, yeah. that, yet that's what you have to understand too: is that this isn't just about this season. They nope. signed this guy to a, a big extension, and so they're not going to want to take that risk. Exactly. And I think the other thing is, and again, I'm not a medical professional, David. No one would ever mistake me for that. But I have to think that just sort of the logical side of my brain says because this is such a Huge jump in development because we thought he could be out for the entire season. Now yeah. it's February. To me, that seems less like, oh, he might be susceptible to re-injury. He might be getting rushed back as opposed to maybe bringing him back like a week or two early from a prognosis. Right. Or, or for the last couple of weeks of the season when it looks like – and, you you know, you have to give it to MKG too. He knows his body. Kimba, he's a you, young guy. If you remember the the tear that Kimba had in his meniscus, mm-hmm. that was an injury where he got a second opinion from the team physicians, yeah. or a second opinion away from the team physicians. So these guys, they know their bodies, yeah. and, and they know that they have to ultimately take care of themselves. So if MKG is back at practice and he thinks he can go full contact, then I think to a certain extent we have to trust that. Yeah, exactly, and. You know, not to go too far down that road of we're not doctors, we're not uh, for the fifth time, but it's not a, it's not a, uh, you know, a lot of times when these guys come back and they have a knee or an ankle, you know, they end up favoring the other. And so you, you end up putting more stress on the opposite leg or ankle or knee, and that could maybe cause further damage. I don't yeah. know that that risk is as great when you're dealing with a shoulder per se. Um, you know, he's not the, here's what we know. He's not going to slow down. (laughs) So once they give him the all go, I mean, he's going to be back to the old MKG that we saw before, you you know, as we talked about before when he got the extension and then when he was injured at some point though, there, he's got to, you know, you don't want to crash situation all over again. So he's got to be able to play in a manner where he's not going to have these injuries pop up again. So, but the good news is he's a young guy. Young guys heal faster than than us old guys. So so that's another thing in his favor. And I think you're right. You just got to trust MKG. You got to trust the doctors. You got to trust the team. This there is a long view of this, and that's what they have to be thinking and taking because, you know, this season is big. It's going to be big for them to get him back. But that's not all there is. All right, let's talk about the lead story. The the lead story that was going to be the lead story before that news dropped. And and last week, you know, David, we talked about the brutal numbers because we had to. This week, we start out with a beautiful number, and that number is <laughs> Hive Talk Live is brought to you by the number 52. 52. As in Kimba Walker scored 52 points against the Utah Jazz in a double overtime win. It's a new franchise rest record besting the 48 points that Glenn Rice put up in 1997 against Boston. That game went into one overtime as opposed to the double overtime against the Jazz. I have some more stats about this, David, but first, how exciting was it for you to witness K. 
Kimball Walker, a guy we've seen, you know, develop in this franchise mm-hmm. his entire career, turn this kind of game in. At one point, I was more cheering for 50 points than I was for the win. <laughs> Which is saying a lot because the Hornets needed this double. Yeah, they really needed the win. And, you know, I'm not so sure it was only two overtimes. It felt like more like four or five. I said it. It. I mean, you didn't go to this game, right? I did go. You did go. Okay. I did go. But I, but I was thinking the whole time, you know, it's a two o'clock start. A lot of people are off work. But, hey, if you get off work at five, you may be able to catch the tail end of this thing. I mean, it lasted forever. That's true. I thought that if it went into triple, I was going to tweet something to the effect that people could catch, you know, quadruple overtime at 7 o'clock p.m., yeah. Happy hour. But But, no, but I've never heard a crowd groan about more basketball. Normally it's like, oh, that shot didn't go in. Oh, this was like, ugh. And and probably because, A, they were up big, B, they needed the win, and and C, they had it. You know, it was another one of these games at home where they let the other team come back in, and it was a case of, you know, the Jazz needed everything to go right to get back in this game multiple times. And usually that was a, a three-pointer from the corner. And they got it just about every time. And the, the offensive rebounds were big for them in that regard. So it was tough for the Hornets. Every time they secured a rebound, it was like a little mini victory. And, and and you know, you, you of course, once the points started rolling up for Kemba, I mean, that that is such a big thing, I think, for this franchise this this term of this franchise to have a guy like that now because all the history and record books and and stuff like that is basically with the old hornets who yeah, are never here there, there are there are not a lot of records that sit with the not, 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 not good ones right not good ones so yeah a lot of those are glenn rice del curry and, and muggsy bogues yeah and glenn rice a guy i think over the summer we said basically probably the best hornet ever i mean certainly up there yeah, we for had, sure. You know, top top three. Yeah. So yeah, it's great that Kemba is able to place his stake and, and and I think he is assembling the year, which when you talk about is he the best point guard uh, in franchise history, and I know our friend Nada yeah. is saying yes, absolutely yes. I still think he had to have the year, and I think this really plants the flag that okay, this is the year for Kemba. You have to have the the it year, and, and uh, Karan Butler talked about this in his article, uh, basically saying Kimball Walker's an all-star. Kimball Walker has the it factor. And when you look at his stats versus Isaiah Thomas, and those two guys are probably going head-to-head at this point for you know a final roster spot in the all-star game, yeah. the, the, the Bear stats probably sit with Isaiah Thomas. More points per game, more assists per game. Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, more uh, better sh- true shooting percentage for Isaiah Thomas. Wins, but, but, but wins are fluid, I think. But Kimba is the better defender, and Kimba also seems to have that special something. And, and not saying that Isaiah Thomas is not an all star player, that he's not a special player, but I just look at that play against Rudy Gobert. Oh, play of the game. I mean, it, it was it was beautiful the way it is. So it, it was a classic Kemba dribble move he could have stepped back but instead he sort of faked Gobert into thinking he was going to step back and then used his look he looked Gobert off of him just enough to slide past him for the layup and it I mean you you immediately think of the move that he put on Miritich last season where Mm -hmm. he broke Miritich's ankles and I kind of think about those two plays and I think and Bradford uh, Coombs on Twitter brought this up as well, that those two plays, you know, going side by side. And I kind of think of the Miritich as like a rock concert. And I think of this play against Gobert as a symphony because the Gobert play, there were so many different things with his dribble, with his footwork, with his looking Gobert off. It was, there was very complex as opposed to the Miritich play which was just a rock star crossover step back. Yeah, and I mean, against Gobert, too. I mean, that's so important to keep in mind. This guy, you know, one of the premier shot blockers, certainly one of the up-and-coming defensive stars in and, the and, league. And if you remember, the who blocked, was it Kimba that got blocked when he tried to pull that same kind of maneuver in, in a previous game? And someone blocked him from behind. So it's not a given. No. And and that's why I say it's that look that he gave that made Rudy take one step 
and give him enough space so that Gobert couldn't come back over the top and get the backside block. Yeah, and there's a great article on um, on At The Hive about Kimba's increased efficiency this year. And in particular, they, it's noted that around the basket, his percentages have gone up this year, and that's been a big key to it. And you saw it in drives like that against a guy like Gobert, going in there and get the finish. Now, that one's more just about he's got to be quick enough to get it up there, get it on the glass before Gobert has a chance to react because he's such a great shot blocker. But across the board this year, Kimba is finishing with a higher success rate than he has in previous years, and that's what helped him make this jump this year. And if he can continue to do that, you know, he's going to sustain that level, which is a big a big thing for a point guard, a big thing for Kimba. And I think this game, when you're talking about all-star bids, he needed an exclamation point game. He needed a, a game that attention. hit the national. Yeah, exactly. And this was a Martin Luther King. Unfortunately, Golden State sort of stole yeah, the headlines by decimating Anyone Cleveland. watching the second half of that game other than – well, not the you fourth know, quarter, for to sure. Make, to make funny jokes on Twitter. But it wasn't on national TV, but the game was on all afternoon. Uh, if you were keeping up with the NBA, you were getting notes on that. And and, and that was highlighted well, before Well, a 50-point game a is 50 always point game. going Right, to... exactly. So to help his all-star in, uh, chances, I, I think he really needed that. And maybe that's the difference. We'll see. Are you ready for these stats that I have dug up on this franchise record performance by Kimball Walker? Always. All right, so the Bobcats... If we just take the Bobcats era, the the record holder, the previous record holder would have been Steven Jackson with 43 points versus Houston in a win in 2010. So Captain Jack Captain. is the is the Bobcats scoring so record holder. <laughs> uh, again, the previous record all-time single game, 48 by Glenn Rice and 97 one overtime. Kimba Walker also holds the half record for scoring, scoring in a half with 35 points last season versus Orlando in the second half. The quarter scoring record goes to two guys, 21 points by Baron Davis and David Wesley. And then here's a random stat that I just happened upon while researching this. Most offensive rebounds in one half by a Charlotte Hornet, Charlotte Bobcat goes to Byron Mullins. Eight rebounds in the second half of a game. He's tied with some guy named Alonzo. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, now you don't happen to have the stat about the fifty-eight and nine, do you? Okay, so yeah, I um, I saved it on Twitter. If uh, I know that it's it's and that's an NBA historical. Yeah. So in stat. the pa- in the past, what thirty years, it was MJ, Kobe, LeBron, and Russell Westbrook. So fifty decent, decent company and not fifty plus eight and nine. Yeah. So that's. Great company, so and and it goes to it goes to show you that this was not just a scoring performance. I mean, Kemba, I commented on it during the game. Had his hands on his knees by the end of it. He was gassed. He was wiped, and he had every reason to be because he gave everything that he had to win that basketball game. And 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 what's really impressive is what he had to say right. after the game. You know, I basically made all the plays, all the mistakes down the stretch to keep these guys in the game and you know, as one of the best players in this team I can't make those mistakes um yeah I'm just a little upset with myself right now okay so the guy puts in a performance that is up there in the in the pantheon of NBA performances yeah. in the last three decades what does he say post game I made the mistakes he's taking the responsibility because Kimba is a leader yeah and yeah. And, and and you know look we talked about it last well, week you know, I, I'll, I'll admit, I'm one guy who says that Kemba is not as vocal of a leader as he could be in, in public, probably in the locker room, but not in public. That made me look like a fool. Well, I, I think, though, that— it's a, I think it's it's the start of It's of the start that. of something, because yeah. he, he really hasn't been. Um, and maybe that's more the personality of this team as a whole. It's something we've talked about uh, in the past, and it's something we've talked about in terms of what this team is lacking and sometimes what they need. And we didn't see it a few weeks ago against uh, Phoenix, uh, but we did see it against you know the Jazz in a, in a similar game, a game that was certainly there for the taking and there for the losing. And so to see it at home, I, I think obviously you get 52, um, but to get that win on top of it, especially for the home fans, yeah. was huge. And to hear what he said after the game was great because that is the attitude that this team needs. And that's 
you know, I wonder how much of a trickle down effect that is from a guy like from Coach Steve Clifford. Well, yeah, and look, I mean, there were mistakes down the stretch of this game. Late game execution is still an issue, especially on defense for the Charlotte Hornets team. The two Are plays you? that you look to. At the end of regulation, Kemba hits the two free throws to to make it a three-point game, 95-92. And then Kemba and Nick Batum seem to have some kind of miscommunication when they're getting back. Steve Clifford yelling for uh. someone to stop the ball. Gordon Hayward bringing the ball up the court. Both guys go to stop Hayward, leaving Trey Burke open in the corner. He knocks down the three, sends it to overtime. That, that, that cannot happen. I mean, yeah, really. yeah, no, and that I think that's what Kimball was thinking about after the game is is yeah. that kind you have to communicate immediately after the free throw and find out who's stopping the ball. If that's Russell Westbrook carrying the ball of the floor, it would have been two points for Russell Westbrook. He wouldn't have even bothered passing. You have to stop the ball. And then in overtime, there was a similar play to the end of the New Orleans game, pick and roll. And it, uh, Cody Zeller actually made the right move here in being aggressive, showing really hard to stop the penetration by Hayward. But Lynn misses his weak side assignment help. Well, it was part on Lynn and I think part a fear that Utah was going to hit another three. Yeah. Everyone was staying with their man. But Talking I mean, about the Gobert dunk, Yeah, right? you can't leave Gobert open for the dunk. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, at that point, you know, I was worried they were going to hit a three-two, and so I was almost okay with that because it meant you still had a, a shot. At worst, you were going to go to to a over, overtime or another. Was that right? Regulation in the first overtime? That was first overtime. The yeah. So I mean, you you don't want to yeah. give up the tying basket, but um, you knew you were going to get a, get a shot back, and yeah, the, the Kimba shots and, and the end of end of quarter um, breakdowns. And, you know, it's nothing new. Obviously, I, I don't know if we even want to delve into the <laughs> to the inbounds plays. Oh, I definitely do. But uh, <laughs> you know what that sound means? It means I still don't have intro music for our next guest and his inside the locker room segment. Uh, he'll be uh, helping us co-host Hive Talk Live Thursdays, brought to you by ESPN Seven Thirty from ESPN Seven Thirty. It's the one and only Justin Thomas. Justin, how are you, bud? Hey, I'm alive and well. Uh, trying to keep warm for the most part, but you know I'm trying to keep it warm, man. I'm awesome. How about yourself? I'm telling you, Charlotte is a a frozen tundra. Uh, there's just little ice patches everywhere. Uh, there's slip and fall warnings, so just be careful if you're out there walking around the city. Uh, and and honestly, the, the the Hornets almost slipped and fell at home against the Jazz, and that's where I want to open up this conversation with you, Justin. We're about to talk about these inbound plays. I just want to know one question. Why is Frank Kaminsky taking the ball out in these crucial situations? That That's what I can't figure out. I mean, it's he's a rookie. Seven-footer. Is, well, I, I get that. I get that. But I feel like in these must-win games, Justin, and, and I'm, well, maybe they're not must-win, but in these crucial January games, when your team is trying to get off the schneid, I just don't understand not giving it to a veteran because I feel like for two straight games now, Frank has looked a little shaky inbounding the ball. Um, you're, you're not the only one that has voiced that concern. A lot of people were, were really curious about that. And, and thankfully, let's address that. He said that Frank had made a really good touch inbound pass the other night in New Orleans. So that's something he felt confident with. He's a, he's a big fan of how Frank passes the basketball. So in that in that situation, he said, "Hey, let's let's not uh, show to the rookie. Let's throw him into the fire." And, and that, this isn't Clifford Woodward, but you are you are not alone in wondering why in the world is this rookie Frank inbounding the ball at such a crucial time. You're not the only one. So Steve Clifford looking for some kind of development, and, and yeah, I remember that from the post game presser um, after the Utah game. He said basically that you know. You, to have a really good inbounder is is definitely an asset, and, and he pointed to Evan Turner in Boston, and so he's trying to develop that with Frank, it seems like, but I just feel like in these close game situations, you know, I know it's the middle of January, or it's the beginning of January, but I mean, I feel like you want to put that ball into more secure hands, David. Well, I think Batum threw the the very last one in, if I'm not mistaken. Do you, do you have any recollection of that? 
the one where they finally got it in to, to Kemba and he got fouled. But up until that point, it was Frank, and there were some issues. And maybe they're looking for that guy because Batum had issues uh, last week, and and you know Frank right there in front of the bench. You know maybe they feel a little more comfortable too. But it's something they got to work on because you know Kemba gets smothered. I thought he got held on uh on the one i think that ended up being a steal by hayward but um that's it's been a bit of a bugaboo with them even going back to to last year the five second call in new york with marvin so it's got to be something they're working on but hopefully they can figure it out well listen utah got very physical on those last few inbounds but if you're the hornets you have to get free yeah i just i do you have to get free and some like out of four players, one guy has to get free, and the guy inbounding the ball has to have the recognition to find that guy. Well, let's move on. This is inside the locker room, and we're joined by uh, Justin Thomas from ESPN Seven Thirty. Let's transition to MKG. Uh, you got some audio from practice with Steve Clifford, and and he talked about a little bit of a hidden uh, a hidden benefit to getting MKG back to full contact. Let's take a listen to that. He's so energetic and he's very smart, you know, and he's always talking. And so, yeah, no, no, he's, he's a really good practice player. So, Justin, having MKG back at practice, big for the Hornets. Oh, very big. And um, what was really great about today is as practice was over, um, there was a very intense game of two-on-two going on. You had MKG and Troy Daniels. Versus Harrison and Tyler Hansbrough. And, and usually when I first saw it, I was like, Tyler Hansbrough, and if anybody who knows Tyler Hansbrough, you know the one thing he brings is physicality. I'm like, well, you're trying to nurse a guy back from a shoulder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get <laughs> them away from each Hansbrough, other. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's something you're like, uh, I don't know. But watching them play, um, Kid Gilchrist really got after it. Um, he finished strong at the rim. He made a, a ton of hustle plays. And the best thing was, is he could take contact. Him and Tyler were banging in the in the paint, whether it was offensively or defensively. And I looked up and said, wow, well, you know, maybe he worked extremely hard in the rehab process because, honestly, like, if you walked in there and watched the play, you was never thought that he had, he had structure. And that's a really good sign because they need him drastically because I was like, I was looking at the schedule and, uh, you know, we're officially at the second half of the year. 22 of Charlotte's 41 remaining games are on the road. And there's one thing that I feel like is universal about sports is they always say defense travels. And guess what? The Hornets haven't played any defense. Um, So they need MKGs back. And I I have a few tentative dates, which which are all speculation, but I feel like he'll actually be able to get back. And they'll, they'll get, I do believe they'll get one crack at it, with a completely healthy roster, and uh, we'll see what we can do with that. All right, Justin, we're going to be breaking uh, down or recapping the Oklahoma City game on Hive Talk Live Thursdays, brought to you by ESPN 730. But do you want to give us uh, maybe a key to the game as they travel to Oklahoma City and, and try to get a big upset victory? To be, to be honest, guys, I don't. <laughs> this doesn't sound good. Uh, I'm a, I'm a I'm a very optimistic guy, and I, I don't want this to sound like, you know, we're continuing, you know, to to, to say the same thing. But it's it's deep, and um, when I when I called in, I listened to you guys talk about it. Um, it's communication. Mm-hmm. It, it's Clifford has always said it, it's very minor details. There's nothing that they can't fix. It is simply communication. And I don't think they're going to win this game. Not they can. But I do believe a win in this situation is to keep it close. If you can go in there and you can, you know, possibly win the game or you lose by anywhere from 8 to 10, I believe that's going to win. But, you know, Charlotte has not fared well against Oklahoma City. And I do believe this one. With, you know, just from watching the Hornets over the past you know, 11, 12 games, they haven't guarded anybody. And I don't see them making a valid effort to stop Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. All right, Justin, well, you're going to join us in studio on Thursday for our first Thursday show of the year. Uh, looking forward to it. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you soon. Uh, I look forward to it. Folks. Remember, stay warm. <laughs> stay bought in, stay believing, and stay warm. That's Justin Thomas again. 
He will be helping us co-host Hive Talk Live Thursdays, brought to you by ESPN 730, starting this Thursday, 6 o'clock p.m. You can listen to that show live on HiveTalkLive.com. I want to play one more juicy soundbite. This is from Steve Clifford after the Utah game, and I think, David, it highlights some of the things that Justin was talking about and, and some things that we've already talked about in this show but I think Clifford really hit the nail on the head here, and, and, and I think listeners would enjoy listening to this. Here he is. You know, for us, we have to get our defense and our intensity back. You know, people can talk about spirit or togetherness or this and that. It's not our problem. Our problem is we don't defend. You know, guys can talk about belief or this and that. You don't play defense. It's hard to believe to me. That's what I told him today. I love our team, and I think we can get going and play a lot better. When people, you lose a few in a row, and everybody likes to say, oh, they don't care. They're not playing. No. We care about offense too much. That's what I see. You don't go to New Orleans and score 107 if you don't care. Clifford, he's not so mincing. Hardcore. He's not mincing words. He's like, listen, spirit. Don't give me spirit and believe these, these frou frou words. <laughs> Just play some defense. I, I mean, believe in defense. Like if you're a yeah, if you're an old school, you know, Detroit Piston bad boy loving basketball fan. You have to love what, what Clifford is saying there. And basically it's that the Hornets problem is not one of energy and effort. It's one of mindset. And, yeah. and that really shows through. It did in this game against the Jazz, again, with with communication, with getting back on defense, and with just knowing where you're supposed to be. If you're not concerned about defense 100% when you're on the defensive end of the floor, you will get lost. Yeah, and as Justin said, Clifford has lamented many times. It's little things. It's little details. It's attention to detail. I mean, at this level, when everyone is good, you know, it's going to be those little things that separate you a lot of times. And, you know, it's the it's the breakdown for the open three at the end of the game that we've already seen twice in a week. So they have to clear that up and more to have a good chance at a win in Oklahoma City. Yeah, the last time they played the Thunder, it was in a Time Warner Cable Arena here in Charlotte. The Thunder got the victory 109-90. to The Hornets were without Batum, though. It was it was closer than that for, for a lot of They made a run the in the third quarter, yeah. but I'll say this. When they made the run in the third quarter against the Thunder, it was one of those runs where you went, ah, they don't have enough. They, don't, they just don't have enough to finish this off. I know that. It's very valiant of them. Not very nice that they did that, <laughs> but they just didn't have enough firepower to go up against Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, who both had really good games. I will say this. The Hornets only had four turnovers. That was a franchise record for least turnover. I was all over the record books, by the way, before this show. But those four turnovers were a franchise record for least turnovers in a game. And they'll definitely – I don't – I mean, I don't expect them to repeat that, David, but they certainly have to keep the NBA steals leader in Russell Westbrook – from getting his hands on the ball in transition because those are automatic points. They're playing so well right now, too. Um, it's going to be a tough one, but, you know, they can go in there and, and maybe take a little momentum from this game, uh, from this win on, on Monday. And, and it start, I mean, it starts on the defensive end of the floor mm-hmm. because you that's how you give yourself a chance. But we, we've seen time and time again they've been able to hit three-pointers. That's not an issue. They what? They hit 14 against Utah. Right, yeah, Utah hit 15, but it took Utah 45 attempts. My God, good lord! What is Utah? <laughs> Calm down. Get after it. Uh, the, the Hornets only had to take 27, so they shot 51 percent, 52 percent from the three-point arc, and still let, let them back in, and and still it went yeah. to double overtime, and they they only won by five. So it starts at the defensive end of the floor, and it starts, and this is where I think it's both frustrating for fans and frustrating for the coach is that these issues are simple. And you know they're preached every day, and you know they see them on film. You know what I mean? I mean, this is, yeah, like you said, they're simple. So they're staples of of, of Clifford's game plan. That Gobert dunk, that was you're playing on pro level on 2K, and that's what you can do to the computer. I mean, those those are simple errors in rotation yeah and even more than that i mean if they lose track of westbrook and durant you know uh, they're not going to have very much success no and we saw early in that last game against the thunder 
Kevin Durant get off to a hot start early, knock down three or four three pointers in the first half, and so you you have to try to disrupt. You're not necessarily going to succeed, right. but you have to to attempt to disrupt one of those two guys. And I do think Oklahoma City, if they're susceptible anywhere, it's when that bench unit comes on. Uh, I mean, Cantor is a scoring machine. He's not going to stop anybody. But getting Batum back, letting some of these bench guys for the Hornets get back in that role of being that second wave, you know, maybe they can take uh, find some advantage there and press what? that second unit of the Thunder because I think there is a significant drop-off. Obviously, there's a drop-off if Garnett and Westbrook are going out, but I don't think the guys that come in after that give them quite the boost that they that they could or they need maybe to take it to the next level. Well, another key, too, is for the last few matchups that the Hornets have had against the Thunder, the Thunder have taken advantage of their rim protection early and turned that into transition points. So if you're the Hornets, look, there's nothing wrong with attacking the basket, but you have to do it in a surgical way. You have to try to get in the same way that they got Gobert and Trey Lyles, who are both good rim protectors, they got those guys moving in and out of the paint. They're going to have to do the same thing for Serge Ibaka because if they don't, then we're going to see a third or fourth repeat of what we've seen previously when the Hornets play the Thunder, and that's a block party that leads to points on the other end. So that leads to Frank Kaminsky, I think, being uh, definitely a big part of of a possible Hornets upset, and he certainly played a good game against the Jazz, finishing with 17 points on 7 of 12 shooting. And we're not talking about three-pointers, folks. We all know he can shoot, but he only attempted one three-pointer. He did knock it down. But this guy was driving. How about finishing with the left hand? How about spinning on Trey Lyles and, and finishing Around with a Gobert? dunk? It's it's nice. To, I mean, it's great to see. Um are we, we? He's he's. They they still do the. I should know this. The rookie young stars rising challenge or whatever. Wait a minute. <laughs> I just I've been so consumed with the all star voting hashtag NBA vote. Although I think voting closed last night at midnight. And I don't think that podcast votes count. <laughs> hashtag. Which by the way, okay, the NBA app. I I could never find the where to vote on my phone in the app. Yeah. I've been told many times there was a way to vote. It's I couldn't all, find it. It's all Twitter now. Well, yeah, but, you know. It's all social media. They're anyway. moving. At, well, no, I mean, I think it's a trend in all sports to move but they said those they, kind of things onto social media. You do it in media. the app. That was a, well, that was a. You know, League Pass. I mean, you you only look to League Pass to, <laughs> to understand where the, the gap between what you are supposed to be able to do and That's what you true. can actually <laughs> do exist in the NBA. That's a good point. If anyone out there actually saw that, uh, tweet at me, yo, and let me know. Oh, wait, I have my voice back. That's kind of nice. It's exciting. Not, yeah. But anyway, Frank Kaminsky, yes, playing very well and uh, and just showing so much more aggression. You know, as we mentioned, maybe work on the inbounds pass more, but for a rookie, for this rookie in particular, after all the, you know, examinations we put him through over the summer and compared him to other people and what was not here and what could have been here and yada, yada, yada. It's great to see him playing and, I mean, being a being a key guy. Well, you know what's exciting is that someone asked Cliff if, I believe it was Adi for uh, Sporting News, asked Cliff if they were running the offense through Frank in that second unit. And Cliff responded basically that they are not really calling a ton of plays for Frank. They're trying to call more, and we've heard Cliff in previous uh, post games say they wanted to call more plays for Frank. But Frank is just finding opportunities to beat his man, and and he's he is creative. Yeah, and and, and to me, that is what's most impressive as a rookie to be able to when the ball is not called for you, he's able to take broken plays. He's able to take you know third option type plays he sees the floor really well it's amazing and he knows he understands that when he's up against a guy like gobert or he's up against a guy like lyles who they have a little bit of size on him he can use his quickness and he's he's athletic enough i mean he's not unathletic by any means i mean there's going to be guys that he goes up against especially in today's nba that are going to be more athletic than him but probably not many at seven feet um, that can change yeah. a shot midair? No, I don't yeah. know. There's not many seven-footers that can change their shot midair the way he can. And so, handle it. I mean, you know, he can put it on the ball 
uh, put the ball on the floor, floor yeah. as, you know, as well as he has to. So it's great to see. I mean, it's finally good to see the Hornets get a rookie and have him, uh, you know, being a big part of it so early in the season. Yeah, but like I said, just a ton of great performances in this game, most of them offensively. Unfortunately, again, you, you saw that stretch in the fourth quarter where uh, just, you know, you allow a couple of guys to get into rhythm. In this game against Utah, it was Trevor Booker in, in the fourth quarter uh, getting a few plays chained together and, and took a seven-point lead and, and tied the ball game up for the Jazz. You know, he finished 5 of 11 from the floor for 12 points off the bench. Yeah. Played substantial because I think that played substantial minutes because I think Utah decided they finally had to get big uh, against the Hornets to to combat some of what they were trying to do. But you know, Nick Batum uh, had a, a Nick Batum ish game: ten points, nine rebounds, and four assists. So the, Nick Batum and Kimball Walker continuing to work well together, and then Marvin Williams finishing with nineteen points, and he had a really big. Uh, offensive rebound and it's one of those things that we've been waiting or or wondering I guess if if Marvin still had that you know glue guy energy left in him and and not for lack of trying because I think we all no one can question the heart of Marvin Williams you question whether the body is going to cooperate for the rest of the season and I don't know how long that's going to last but certainly he played well against Utah and it definitely helps getting healthy guys back I mean there were so many injuries especially um you know, when you had Batum out and it forced so many guys to play up and then you had Marvin, you know, maybe playing a, a few too many minutes uh, than he's comfortable with, but that, that obviously injuries hurt. So it's going to help. And yeah, I mean, you hope that maybe we'll get some rest around this all-star break and can get on a roll in the second half because for the first, you know, part of this season, he was rock solid for this team and, and, and they're going to need him to keep performing at that, uh, at that position where he's been. All right, let's go back to the phone lines. Our next guest, a favorite of this show, it's time for Nick's Picks. And so joining us on the Hive Talk Live hotline, Nick Denning. Welcome back, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, well, and now we finally have our picks in order. I've tallied up the the votes. This is the the Hive Talk Live uh, primary, and, and here's where the vote stands right now. Uh, in the in this NBA picks segment that we're we haven't done this I think since December fifteenth, so we took a little bit of a break, a hiatus if you will, but now we're getting this back on track. Uh, David, you sit at thirteen and eight. Nick at fourteen and seven, so Nick is one game ahead, and I I'm at the bottom, eleven and ten, barely hanging on to that above five hundred record in the picks. I had a pa- I had a tough uh, past two weeks, one and two. Oh, you know what's amazing? I don't think any of us have hit zero and three yet. Over. Yeah, no, no, yeah. We, none of us. I don't. I think have. Now we haven't hit three and zero either a lot. So the way this works, this NBA pick segment that we started at the beginning of the year, we take a Hornets lock, and then we pick a league pass special, and then we pick a national TV game that we think you should watch and 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 partake in. So let's start with Nick. What are what are your picks? Well, this week I'm going with my Hornets lock. I'm going with our home game against New York on Saturday. Um, don't really like any of the other matchups this week on the road. Plus, we do obviously play well at home. So that's my pick. Um, for the league pass special, I'm going with the Boston Celtics at Toronto Raptors, which is tomorrow night. I'm taking Toronto in that one. This is an interesting Atlantic, Atlantic division matchup. Um, you know, Toronto is obviously division leader. The Boston's playing well um, of late as well, so that should be an interesting game. And my national TV game is the Atlanta Hawks at the Portland Trailblazers. I think that's Thursday night. I'm, I should have written that down. But anyway, uh, I went with this just because, you know, most of the time your national TV game is some combination of the Lakers and the Warriors and the Cavaliers, the Bulls, uh, the, the Thunder. The Hawks and, and Trailblazers aren't your typical teams that are on national TV all the time. Portland will get on sometimes late because they're usually playing one of those teams I mentioned. Um, but it's just interesting to see these two teams going at it. You know, it's, it's just it's not your it's not your typical national TV game. So I'm going with that one. I'm like, taking Portland. I like the Boston and Toronto game because you have Isaiah Thomas up against well, not head to head, but he goes against Demar Derozan, two guys again who are fighting for All Star positioning not vote wise but uh, skill wise 
and then the national game. I like Atlanta at Portland because Portland, they gutted their team, but they are, what, they're sitting in ninth in the Western Conference, so they're certainly not out of the playoff hunt by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it's crazy. I love those uh, 1030 Portland tips. I mean, I used to. Um, they're better on Fridays. But, um, yeah, that's a great game because a great crowd, maybe the best home court in the NBA, and uh, a fun game to watch with Atlanta. Who'd you pick in that one? Portland. I went with um, Portland. Yeah. The guard play. I mean, yeah. you got to go with guard play. I like that. Um, my picks, gentlemen, are uh, the Hornets will beat the Knicks. I went that with that one as well. I kind of eyed this Orlando game in Florida, in, uh, in Florida on Friday, but that has all the makings of something really, really ugly. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to stick with the Knicks on that one. My league pass game Friday night, Thunder at Mavericks. And for some reason, I'm going to pick the Mavericks in this one. I don't know why. I feel like I need to have an upset <laughs> in there, um, but I'm just feeling a little frisky. Uh, the Thunder, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say they're going to be so worn out from their game against the Hornets that it's going to drag on into Friday night, which would be a long hangover, but Hey, anything's possible. And the Mavericks have been, um, you know, surprisingly exciting this year, Friday night game at home. I'm counting on maybe some fireworks to help me out there. And then my national game, I'm going Saturday night, primetime bulls at Cavs, just because it's the beginning of this little primetime, um, ABC NBA game of the week, which I think is pretty cool. And we're going with the Cavs in that one because you can always have fun watching LeBron. I like those picks. For my Hornets lock, I'm going Hornets at Sacramento all the way in the future next Monday. If you remember, uh, you always, Doug, you always do this because you look what? further ahead than <laughs> I do. I'm like, that's it's a not, week. I know. I, we, it's, I, it's, it's a week. That's <laughs> next the, week. The, the rules are the rules. Uh, so, ever, do we have the rules? We do. Okay. <laughs> I, I wrote them down. Well, you can on make them, I guess. Loose leaf paper. That's fine. Um, no, but the Hornets, uh, they got the uh, the overtime thriller win against the Kings in Charlotte, 127-122. So the Hornets have proven they can beat the Kings. I like this matchup for Charlotte. And uh, my league pass special, uh, the Battle of Texas, Dallas at Houston. Houston is quietly pulling things together. They're not getting big headlines, but James Harden continues to play very well. And Houston is finally starting to figure things out. They play a a Dallas team that, you know, depending on if they decide to pull all five starters or not, can really put on a show in the West as well. I'm taking Dallas, that game, on Sunday. And then the national TV game, I'm going with, um, oh, by the way, that League Pass special. That's You have to be a really hardcore basketball fan to skip out on championship football games. But... Oh yeah! If you so choose, Dallas at Houston, uh, uh, as good as any national TV game. Pacers at Golden State. You've got two teams who have similar philosophies: love to run, love to gun. Pacers at Golden State. I'm taking Golden State because mm. I need the double. <laughs> I need okay. the double. Yeah, use. I was going to say. I thought <laughs> I need was... both U's. I need the double U's. I thought there was some sort of embargo on. Golden State. No, there's not an embargo. All there's right. just a, don't pick them more than the two time. weeks in a row. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I also, while we have you here, Nick, you wrote a great article. Uh, even though you sold your soul to FanDuel, you wrote a great article on <laughs> Cody Zeller and and his changing game. You essentially argue in this piece that while Zeller is not a traditional post scorer, he's the Hornets' best hope underneath. Explain why you think that is. Well. It- this is especially true with Al Jefferson out, you know, because there really isn't anyone else who can, can, can score consistently enough in the post. But he does this in, in a very interesting way, you know, where Al Jefferson can kind of sit in the paint, get the ball, and kind of go to work. Zeller it doesn't really have any post moves. You know, I mean, he has a few, but they're not exactly effective. So instead he does, you know, he can get to the paint and get scoring opportunities by just filling lanes, by cutting to the basket. Um, in transition, he runs just straight north to the south, just straight to the hoop. Um, and he's, he's athletic enough that he can beat a lot of these other opposing centers off the dribble or just, you know, just moving by them. And because the Hornets have so many playmakers or just more playmakers than they've had in the past, uh, he's finding himself getting a lot more opportunities to score than he has in the past. Yeah, no, I mean, those added playmakers are having effects not only on Zeller, but on so many players on this team. 
And you also write, while Zeller has figured out a way he can impact the game offensively, he shouldn't abandon improving his mid-range jump shot. Talk about that. Yeah, so it's, it's, I kind of made the comparison, you know, with, you know, it, well, I guess I should say Zeller's best skill offensively is scoring at the rim. I think I mentioned he, he shoots about, and I'm, I have the article up here, but he shoots very well from uh, 62% roughly um, at the rim, and that was a few games ago or whatnot. Um, outside of that, he shoots just about 25%, which isn't good. But he can't give this up because if he only has one way of scoring, and that's just at the rim when he's off the ball, things like that, um, defenses, defenses will be able to scheme for that. Um, but if he can keep them honest, if he's able to hit, knock down, you know, the occasional jump shot, well, I guess a little bit more than occasional, um, he's going to make players or force players to kind of come out on him. Um, he's also, again, I, I, you know, I think we, we, we see that move of his where he can kind of pump fake one dribble and just like flush it down with a, with a strong slam dunk. You know, that's something he could really take advantage of if he had a more reliable jump shot. So he shouldn't abandon it. I don't want him to do that. But if he is more focused on just kind of, you know, attacking the rim when he's off the ball, I think that's going to really help him, especially this season. I think it's really strange, David, because I know that Nick does not want him to abandon it, but it, he seemingly has. He and has. when he does take the mid-range yeah. jump shot. And, you know, all we heard this offseason from Clifford was that Zeller would have to develop not just a consistent mid-range shot, but a, a three-point shot, and that's virtually non-existent. Now, you know, what's changed? Well, Al Jefferson got hurt. Yeah. And and, and Zeller is able to use the one advantage that he has against opposing centers. But, but Nick, I wonder how long will that advantage last and, and how long can Zeller – survive offensively with no shot threat yeah and that's 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 the problem and and which is why i think again i think he he shouldn't completely abandon that but it's interesting to see you know we're like in 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 year three you know zeller or season three and you know like you said all all we heard about you know prior to the draft or you know and and after they drafted him was well you know he's going to be this face-up guy he's going to be able to hit jump shots and that hasn't really developed um yeah, I don't know what it. I don't know what. Do, what do you guys think? I mean, what do you think is the issue? Is is it? I mean, is it mechanics? Because I mean, his jump shot doesn't look bad necessarily, but it just doesn't. He doesn't seem to have the the touch that a lot of jump shooters have. I think I think the jump shot was developing out of necessity because yeah. he didn't have the playmakers last season, and he didn't have the space underneath when he was playing alongside Al Jefferson. But I think that if you look back to his college days, he always used his quickness to whether yeah. it was running down the floor in transition or in the half court. He always used his quickness much more than he used his shot making ability. And so now I think it's sort of a little bit going back to what you're comfortable with when you have the opportunity. Yeah. But also, uh, you know, part of it is that that's what's helping the offense at this point. It's just when you look at the long-term development, you go, Ooh, I don't know. Well, and I do think he was injured yeah. uh, in the offseason, right? We were keeping an eye on that. That's right. And all word was, you know, that was kind of – that kind of delayed him. Um, they said the jump shot was still coming along, and Doug's right at that point. It was like a, it was a three-point jump shot, which has just completely yeah. gone out the window. I mean, that's not even a thought right now. So maybe – you know, um, he wasn't quite as quite as far along as he would have liked to have been. Didn't have much success with the jumper early on, and just you know, like Doug said, goes back into what's comfortable. Doesn't show a lot of confidence. He's not even looking to shoot that shot now. So, well, I mean, and and it goes to this idea that you can practice shooting a three or shooting a mid range shot as a big all day long, mm-hmm. but then the game happens and bodies are flying around and adrenaline is pumping and the game is flowing. It seems like he did in the preseason. I mean, I'm, I remember him taking some threes. At least but it's a whole, I just feel like it's yeah. a whole different thing in the regular season. Like I yeah, look at, totally. I, like I watch warmups and you'll see Tyler Hansborough, every warmup shoot these mid range jumpers and, and take threes. And that's all he does during warmups. And then if he ever gets the ball in his hands in the That's game, awesome. <laughs> he just rapidly attacks the rim. Because I just think in the heat of the moment, in the heat of battle, you go immediately. Well, that's how he's programmed. I always say when when yeah. you have um, 
if you're in a rush to get somewhere and you're traveling by car or whatever, I always say like, go the way, you know, even if somebody's like barking directions, like, Oh, I know a shorter way. No, 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 no. Listen, I got to get there. It may take us two minutes longer, but I'm not going to get lost. Go the way, you know. And I think for Zeller, he has reverted into go the way, you know, and he can get away with it right now. But if Al Jefferson were to come back, then it's a whole new ball game. So so he needs to get out his ways app is what you're saying. Yeah, he needs okay. to find out if there's an accident ahead. This offseason. Sort of the opposite. He needs to find out if there's a recovery ahead and and transition into more of a shooting big. No, I seriously, I worry about uh, the prospects of, of him in a, and not only in a Hornets uniform. Yeah, he's got to do, I mean, t- yeah. He's, he's either, no, he's that. either got to put on weight and, and become a, a legitimate center or he's got to learn to shoot. And not well, not even learn to shoot. Maybe he knows how to shoot. He's got to actually shoot in a game. Yeah. And I think it, I'm a fan, I'm a fan of Cody Zeller, and that's why I want him to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, exactly. I will say, I mean, because you know, I will I will give him this. His he does read the game very well when he when when he's off the ball, and I think that's one reason he is doing so well this season. Because I mean, you know, you look at the if you go if you go to the article and you kind of look at the shot charge from that game, it shows the player movements and whatnot. If he, you know, whether he's whether he's setting the screen for for Kemba or someone else, or he's just kind of flashing into the lane as defenders are drawn to say Nick Batum or Kemba Walker, he knows when to kind of, you know, he kind of understands when defenses are zeroed in on somebody else, and he and he uses that to his advantage. And I know it's not, you know, something we're you know, used to a post score doing, but I mean, it's it, it is working to a to a decent extent. And now I'm with you, Doug. He needs. I think I do agree that he needs to become more consistent, you know, in the mid range. Uh, we can throw away the three point shot, but if he can get his, you know, maybe mid range shots to maybe 37, 38 percent, that's gonna that's gonna help things. But I think I don't. I mean, I think he's got a future, you know, doing this sort of thing on offense. Well, it was a great article there on atthehive.com. We will post a link on Twitter after we get done with the live show so that all of the listeners can go and read it because there was a lot more detail, some player movement, animations, all kinds of good stuff if you're interested in Cody Zeller's ever-evolving offensive game. Uh, Thanks, Nick, for joining us, and, and we'll talk next week about what this whole NBA picks thing is going to turn into. I think we're finally figuring out uh, what the winner and the loser, what will happen to to those folks uh, in the NBA pick segment. So we'll talk about that next week. And until then, thanks for joining us, bud. Yeah, thank you. You know what's crazy, Doug? You mentioned hands, bro. Uh He's hit two, right? He's hit two three-pointers this year. I mean, it's a mop-up duty, but But he takes them. them. Exactly. That's my point. He's there. It's the same offense. It's the same team. Obviously, drastically different in-game scenarios. But the opportunity is there, and we're not even saying Cody has to step out there and shoot that three. Uh, he's not even in position to do that, but it's there. Hansbrough's taking it. I mean, and, you know, he's, he's making them. So it, you got to be willing to take it, and you got to be willing to keep that defense honest because right now, what are they doing? I mean, they're, they're not even getting out on them. They're sagging so far in when they can that, you know, well, the I, offense is just standing still. Yeah, I, well, I think part of it, too, is that Cody Zeller feels – maybe for the first time in his career that he is a key and central cog to this team and the way this offense maneuvers. And I think there would be a natural hesitation to try to do something outside of your comfort level at all. You know, if it's, if it's 1% outside your comfort level, when you feel like you're such a key part of the offense. So we'll, we'll continue to monitor it. I just, I just fear for the long term. I want to talk. Okay. We have what, two minutes left time for one last thing. This happened on on Twitter, and it brought uh, up an interesting debate that I got our Hive Talk Live Twitter in. I don't know if you saw this, David. No. Okay. Well, I got into a discussion with another podcast, which I really enjoy. I listen to it. It's a an NBA history podcast called Over and Back. And they asked this question on Twitter. Anyone else still feel weird about Bobcats slash Hornets slash Pelicans record books? And they're referencing when when the Hornets name came back to Charlotte, the original Charlotte Hornets records also came back. So Bobby fills his jersey, right? Retired number came back. Del Curry, Larry Johnson, Alonzo Mourning, all of that uh, came with Charlotte. And anything that happened as the New Orleans Hornets stayed with the newly created New Orleans Pelicans. 
So they were at as a NBA history or history podcast. They were asking, you know, is, is there anything weird about that? And I responded very quickly that I don't think that there's anything weird about that because I think that that home records should stay with the home city. And we kind of had a little discussion about this because then they came back and said, you know, uh, congratulations, Minnesota Timberwolves on their 1950-51 championships when they they won them as the Minneapolis Lakers, Minneapolis Lakers. And so I was like, all right, you got me. But at the same time, I think philosophically, I still feel like, David, that records should be where they mean the most. Well, I think the the thing that makes this situation unique is obviously that there's the crossover and then the team came back. I mean, how many how often is that's never happened, right? I mean, the Yeah, so Minnesota got the Timberwolves, but it was uh, yeah. what 40 years after those Yeah, and I think Lakers teams. When people think about the Charlotte Hornets, it's all one. I yeah. mean, no one considers Chris Paul a Charlotte Hornet. Right. So it's it, I guess it gets tricky when you're talking about like David Wesley, what he did in Charlotte, and then what he did in New Orleans. For and, and and for an NBA history podcast and I yeah, could see for some them, I could I'm see sure someone Well, I could see someone being a little bit antsy about that kind of revisionist history. Yeah. And and, and if you're a strict constructionist on records, then you, you probably favor the side of records staying with a franchise. But I just feel like in this instance, it makes more sense for Charlotte. And I think, too, and here's where I would probably differ, because ultimately uh, the I and the Over the Back podcast guys and Ian Levy wrote an article on this on uh, Hardwood Paroxysm. We, we all kind of agree on the Charlotte Hornets situation, but I think where I would end up disagreeing is that I think if in 1989, when they founded the Minnesota Timberwolves, if Minnesota said, hey, we want those Lakers records, I'd have been on their side. I think if it meant anything to anybody in Minnesota, then that's where the record should be. But I know that there would be Lakers historians that would say, "Get out of here." Yeah, and that's I understand that. That's where, and I understand the disagreement. So, was their point more from the player standpoint, or in a situation like that? I just think it's a. I, I don't a, know. I don't know really where where their argument would be on that we didn't really get that far and maybe we should invite them on for the saturday sit down that would be a good kind of back and forth to have about Just don't get in a, i mean don't get in a fight with them no we no that's the thing that's <laughs> the beauty of this podcast this <laughs> is not like shock jock sports radio and, and i mentioned it on twitter like we're all about reasoned conversation we're all about good debate and we're all about and i kind of came or, or adjusted my stance a little bit to say maybe not home city but records should be where they mean something the most. Well, and again, I think in this case, the Charlotte because Hornets to me, are here. records are about memories. Like I don't separate uh, Glenn Rice's forty-eight point former record, or or hell, this whole show is about Kimball Walker. Like I, I'll remember fifty-two for the memory of what he did, mm-hmm. not. Because Kimball Walker scored 52 points. You know what I'm saying? It makes sense for the Charlotte Hornets records to be in Charlotte. Because, again, the, the record books, the numbers, represent memories for people who watched. So, okay, I want to Stop say, stealing Doug's memories. Don't. To get out of my head. <laughs> uh, all right, I want to answer this fan question before we go. I know we're in overtime here, David, but... Um, Jack is asking us, do you think the fact that MKG is coming back earlier than expected will slow down any trade talks or trade rumors surrounding this team? Good question. That's a great question. Again, um, we have the smartest fans in, in NBA podcasting. No, nothing can slow down uh, NBA trade rumors. They're unstoppable. That's true. So let's get that out of the way. The trade machine is um, a large part of that, I think. I don't think you're going to stop Rich Cho from looking either. So we 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 won't we don't really know the answer to that particular angle of it, whether Cho is making calls, receiving calls, what have you. But I think the you're getting somebody back that you maybe hadn't had planned on getting at all. So I think that it has to change the thinking uh, a little bit. Maybe, maybe it does change. The, you know, a wait and see scenario. It certainly it certainly changes it because the immediacy of defense. Yeah, now, yeah, you're not going to get somebody better than MKG, right? In a trade, it's going to help your, your rim protection. 
you know, sort of inadvertently, it's going to help your, or, or tangentially, it's going to help your rim protection. So you don't immediately have to go out and get, you know, a rim protector. But I think that more than MKG returning, I think how they finish out January will determine a lot of, of what happens. Because if the if the losses start to pile up to a point where the the playoffs start to become more of a distant, distant, distant possibility, then I think the then something will have to be done. But otherwise, I think that MKG certainly changes what they will be looking for. Yeah, and a lot of, you know until we see them in a game, it's going to depend on what they see in practice. From what we hear, they feel pretty good if they're letting them go head to head with Hansborough. <laughs> I mean, that sounds that's crazy. Like, that's like breaking your foot and then someone bringing over like seven German Shepherd puppies. <laughs> it's very dangerous. All right, that'll do it for us Hornets fans. Thanks so much to our guests, Justin Thomas and Nick Denning. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hive Talk Live for live game updates and much, much more. Go to atthehive.com for all the latest news and analysis on your Charlotte Hornets. For David and producer Katie, I'm Doug saying stay bought in, stay believing. All hail the teal and purple. See you Thursday. <laughs>